Hey, I'm Cameron. I'm one of the teaching pastors here. I want to welcome you all to Christ Community Church this morning. I see a lot of uh, visitors out there who are here to support Randolph. And you're not just supporting Randolph, you're supporting the kingdom of God. And we thank you for that. I want to acknowledge a few folks. We have uh, Reverend Phil, or Pastor Phil Duncanson from uh, East Point Church, which is where Randolph and his family were at one point. Uh, we also, that's the church that we partner with for one of our youth retreats, the one that's in February. And I'm from East Point, so it's just good to have family in the house. And I also want to recognize Walt Sellers, who's an elder at Four, uh, Four Corners Church. Uh, Jim Whittle, you've already met, who's a teaching elder. All are, are here in just support of what God is doing. And so we are grateful and thankful for your presence here. Uh, for those of you who are visiting, uh, I'm going to say something that I think you're going to understand. It's okay to give me a little help. You know what I mean? Amen. Amen. There you go. There you go. It, it was a regular that got it. I'm sorry. I'm going to try that again. It's okay to give me a little help. Amen. Thank you. All right. Uh, and because sometimes I, I say that, and, and my people are like, is that a question? What are we, are we doing something here? Uh, so sometimes I need a little help. All right. We're going to be in Ruth chapter four, verses one through six this morning. And as you're turning there, let me give you the key truth that I'd love for us to walk away with. It's that God was willing. And really, I needed to modify this. Was willing, is willing, and continues to be willing to pay the full cost for our redemption in Christ. Because we have to remember that redemption is not just being saved from our sins. We're being saved to something, right? And so it's not just justification. It's sanctification. It's glorification. It's the full gamut of the gospel. Just think about this for a second. Would it really be good news if all he did was save us from our sins and go, all right, Figure it out from here. Go in your own strength. Who of you would like to be in charge of your own discipleship and sanctification thinking you could get anywhere? None of us can get anywhere without a little help from Christ and the Holy Spirit and the community of saints and the means of grace. And so this is part of the cost that the Lord our God is willing to pay. While our salvation was free to us, it was not free to him. It cost him something. And so we're going to get into that a bit, uh, that he was willing to pay that cost, and we need to recognize that. And so uh, if you would give your attention to the reading of God's word, this is Ruth chapter 4, verses 1 through 6. Now Boaz had gone up to the gate and sat down there, and behold, the Redeemer of whom Boaz had spoken came by. So Boaz said, turn aside, friend, sit down here. And he turned aside and he sat down, and he took ten men of the elders of the city and said, sit down here. So they sat down. Then he said to the Redeemer, Naomi, who has come back from the country of Moab, is selling the parcel of land that belonged to our relative Elimelech. So I thought I would tell you of it and say, buy it in the presence of those sitting here and in the presence of the elders of my people. If you will redeem it, redeem it. But if you will not, tell me that I may know, for there is no one beside you to redeem it, and I come after you. And he said, I will redeem it. Then Boaz said, the day you buy the field from the hand of Naomi, you also acquire Ruth the Moabite, the widow of the dead, in order to perpetuate the name of the dead in his inheritance. Then the Redeemer said, oh, I cannot redeem it for myself, lest I impair my own inheritance. Take my right of redemption yourself, for I cannot redeem it. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Now, the first question I have for you 
is an important question. I don't want you to get hung up on it. It's something that maybe you return to, but just, just let, it, let it drop for a second, and then we'll turn back to the text. But what limits your willingness to be generous to others and participate in their redemption in Christ? We have to think about this. The things that cause us to either lop off an entire group of people, whether that's by race or class or anything else, any other reason that we may say these folks are not worthy of the gospel as if we were God and could determine worthiness. There are ways in which we are unwilling to be bothered. Let's recognize this. We're in the suburbs. Why are we in the suburbs? Well, we're in the suburbs because we like our space and we like our privacy and we like our time and our protection and our safety and our security. Those are not bad things so long as they are leveraged for the glory of God. Where they are not, they become snares. They become shackles to a prison for which the glory of God is left out. And so we want to recognize that the Lord redeems, exactly what Jim was saying, the Lord redeems through ordinary instruments. That's what we've seen through the book of Ruth. Ordinary people going about their ordinary lives on ordinary days, he chooses to put that glory in earthen vessels such as us for the sake of all of those who are in our spheres of influence. And we are to display that. Now, many of you may be hearing me say, that you need to add something to your life. I'm going to say no. What you need to do is recognize what you're already doing and how you can leverage it within the context of sharing the gospel, both through hospitality, word and deed. This isn't something you need to add as much as you need to recognize where the Lord is already at work. He's placed you where he's providentially placed you just as he placed Boaz, just as he placed Ruth, just as he placed Naomi. Not just for their good, but we are here because of where he placed them. We're not here if they weren't placed there. And so it is important for us to recognize the ways in which we live out what we live out for the eternal good of those around us. Now, don't put too much weight on it because you're not going to save anybody. Just go about being a Christian. Go about recognizing that you are loved. And it is from that firm foundation by which you will love God and love others. There's no other foundation, no other way to go about it. And so what we see here is that Boaz was willing to pay a cost that the other unnamed redeemer was not willing to pay. And this gives us a picture of the Lord our God who is willing to pay the fullness of the cost for our redemption in an ongoing fashion. By the way, for those of you who are saved... Has God ceased to need to make a little effort to help you grow in sanctification? Does he not still have to bring some folks along now and again to remind you of who and whose you are, to remind you of the idols that you are bowing to in some ways, even though you're a Christian? Is glorification going to be a frictionless thing? No. And he's still willing to pay it, even knowing our prayerlessness, our lack of excitement. We should have clapped when Jim, when Jim said, and I, I didn't clap either, so I'm, there's no stones being thrown. But when he said 89,000 people are coming to Christ, we were like, hmm, that's cool. Uh, and then he did the math thing. We were 
let's be honest, we were kind of more impressed that Jim can actually do that kind of math <laughs> than we were with the actual reality that 2.7, I think is what he said, 2.7 million people worldwide. That is the fulfillment of the Abrahamic covenant, which we see here in miniature. And so we need to remember that we are part of this story as well and look at how he chooses to enter into a, a circumstance that is, that is just so kind of quotidian and everyday. These folks were just, Ruth was just trying to eat. Like don't forget the, 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 what this story is about. They lived in a time when everybody did what was right in their own eyes, which usually means that's not good for the poor or the foreigner, right? Or the marginalized. And so she comes back to a place, to a God she didn't know but is willing to covenant with in and through Naomi, coming out of a circumstance in which her father-in-law and husband and brother-in-law have died. They have no protection whatsoever. They have no access to the land that was in their family. They probably were living in underhoused circumstances, and Naomi can't help for some reason gather food. Ruth must do it herself, which is a very dangerous proposition. When everyone is doing right in their own eyes and you have a very attractive foreign woman out in the fields with folks who are rough, the folks who did the gleaning, got to understand, would be a rough crew of folks. Four, Boaz to have to tell them, don't you touch her. Why would he have to tell them? Because it was a risk. And so Ruth serves her mother-in-law. Naomi serves her daughter-in-law, and they keep their integrity. As we saw from the story in chapter 3, both Ruth and Boaz, there was sexual tension in the story, but they don't compromise their integrity, which was a, a repealing of the curse from Genesis 19 on the Moabites and the Ammonites. What a beautiful picture. It's the beginning of the Abrahamic covenant coming to pass. In miniature, Ruth, who is a foreigner, has blessed Naomi, one of the people of God. And she, by virtue of that, is blessed. Is she not? That's what we're seeing here. And Boaz, who has no family, who's an older gentleman, who maybe, maybe had not been able to find a wife because of who his mama was, a lady named Rahab, who was a prostitute. Though she was part of the kingdom and the lineage of Jesus, just like us, those folks today didn't accept her as to who she really was, more than likely. So maybe he had trouble finding somebody because he was a mixed breed because his daddy Salmon had gotten with a Gentile woman. And so, here he is. He's been waiting patiently and, and longing for the, for the things of God, to have a family, to be able to have something, somebody to pass his stuff on to. And the Lord in his grace is not just working out a, a, a national and future redemption, but redemption in real time. That's the beauty of the eternality of our God. He is not bound by time. He's not bound by linearity. He can work in many planes at many times, and that is as much understanding as I have of that. Everything else is mystery, but I'm glad it's true of him. Amen? Amen. There you go. You're getting there. All right, now, Boaz goes to the city gate, which is where you do business. This was normative in their culture. And so he goes, and we have no idea how long he waits for the Redeemer to come along. Oftentimes we read this stuff because it's kind of one after the other. There's an assumption that it was quick. Well, given the story of Boaz, who's had to wait many times over, I don't know that it was quick. I'm not going to write a book about that. I don't die on that hill. But chances are he had to wait a little bit. And so when the Redeemer comes along, he's not named except for he's referred to as the Redeemer. 
Now, a lot of folks refer to him as Mr. Nobody or the Nameless One. But actually, he's identified as the Redeemer. And so he comes along in God's providence, and Boaz calls for him to take a seat, which is let's do business. And he gathers ten elders, which the Lord provided. And they are witnesses to what is about to happen. And know that Boaz, uh, there's many ways in which he could have taken, everybody was doing what was right in their own eyes. What law is Boaz following? Why didn't he just take Ruth, who he wanted, and the land, which he wanted? Who was going to tell him he couldn't? So, he chooses instead to maintain his integrity and, and risk losing what he had come to love. But he was willing to lose what he had come to love for the glory of God. And so he offers, and notice the order. He tells him of the land first. And the Redeemer, hearing about this nice land, and the way that it talks about it, it's not exactly like Naomi selling the land. She can't sell it to anybody. What's happening is she, she is looking for a kinsman redeemer to take it over, which would be a benefit to her in terms of getting the money so that she then could have a place to live. And so it's not that she could sell it to anybody, so it's not like it's on the market. And so this guy hears about the land and wants the land. And then Boaz remind, it tells him of the next thing, which is when you get that land, you also get Ruth the Moabitess. Now, what's interesting is remember Ruth's reputation in the land. Everybody knew she was a worthy woman. She was a little bit younger. She's probably in her mid to late 20s based on the fact she had been married 10 years in Moab. And, and so here's an opportunity for this guy to not just get land, but another attractive wife to help with the things that, that he would need, right? However, in the law, if she has a son he will lose that land. That's the law. Now again, this is interesting, given that everyone was doing what was right in their own eyes, that he was worried about it. And think about this. She had been barren in her first marriage for 10 years. So how high was the risk that she was going to have a son that was going to inherit the land that he would get in addition to that? He could have withheld himself from her. So the risk actually was lower than it sounds, but he wasn't willing to pay any of it. That doesn't make him a bad person. At least he recognized the cost. Too often we rush into things and we don't count the cost. He counted it and said, I will not pay it. And so here it falls to Boaz, who is next in line, who also, if you think about it, the risk is actually a little bit greater. He's older. She's been barren for 10 years. If she doesn't bear him a son, who gets the land? Not him. It goes back into whatever, whatever process there would be legally for somebody else to claim it. And he's assuming all of the risk, all of the debt. This is where Boaz looks most like the character of God. He said, I will pay it in full. The other guy could have paid it knowing that it would affect two very poor people, both Naomi, who's a widow, and Ruth, a Moabitess. Notice again, she's referred to as foreign. And it's that, that critical distance that is important for us to recognize, right? That, that when she's referred to as daughter, there's a sense in which she's being included in the covenant family. When she's referred to as a Moabite, she's pushed out. And so here, 
Boaz brings her in in the fulfillment of the Abrahamic covenant by being willing to marry her and assume the land, which is going to be a benefit to Naomi for future generations. Now, here's where we have to remember what God has done for us. So my question for us here is how much did God expend to draw you to himself? Now, this is actually impossible for us to calculate. Because actually, you'd have to go back to Genesis 1 and even beyond. Ephesians 1 tells us you would have to somehow figure out how to go into eternity past because that's when he decided to redeem you. That's what the Word tells us. Because of his love for us, not because of anything. We don't actually do a whole lot for him if you think about it, right? I've said this before. The guy who created the universe and all of its grandeur and glory, who formed us, if you think about the intricacies of our bodies and the way the psalmist talks about in Psalm 139, you, you know every portion of my being, you formed every bit of it. What is it exactly that we're going to do that's going to make him go, huh, I never thought of that. That's pretty impressive. Nothing. He made the platypus. We just haven't come close, right? And so it's, it's important for us to recognize how little we offer him. And yet, he bestows the glory of his image upon us, knowing that we will again and again and again fail him. We're going to fail to worship. We're going to fail to love. We're going to fail to even speak a, a word fitly spoken in due season. It, this happened just the other day at my house. And you, you, this is not a story about Susan. You all know that, right? But it is, in a sense. So she was trying to tell me about her father, who at Thanksgiving felt isolated and alone. He has dementia, and he can't hear. And none of us, none of us made the effort. We just didn't. We enjoyed what we enjoyed, and we, we hoped it would work out for him. And while she's trying to tell me this, and it was like I was possessed, but I'm not. I couldn't stop talking, and I had this voice in my head that I'm pretty sure is the Holy Spirit saying, Shh, don't, now, children, you can't say this, but the Holy Spirit can, and there's times you need to hear, shut up, just shut up, and for the life of me, I couldn't stop talking, making a defense for why it wasn't my fault, and I watched my wife, actually, I think she balled up her fist, but there's no reason for church discipline here because <laughs> Jesus loves her, <laughs> But it was crazy. Here was a moment that my wife needed me to say, I was, I was wrong, we'll fix it. And I, for the life of me, couldn't stop babbling as if I were speaking in tongues and there was no interpreter. And so, so did Jesus say, why, why wouldn't he kick me out exactly at that moment? He loves me. And I don't know why, and he loves you too, and I'm grateful for that, and that is the greatest reality that I know. That doesn't give me the liberty. Now, for me, I want to, there's a part of me that the next time she brings something up, I de when I say do better, I don't, I don't mean it in the striving in my own strength. I want to serve her, love her better the next time I have the opportunity to do that. The odds are not great. Because like I said, it, I, it was like a tape was playing. And I was like, what are these words coming out of my mouth and why won't they stop? And I couldn't stop myself. Now, I'm not saying it was anybody else's fault. It was all me. 
It was out of the wellspring of my heart. Well, what does that tell you had maybe been my prayer life and my devotion maybe that day and a few days before? I mean, I, I do my devotions. I don't get, don't get it twisted. But maybe my head was in a different cloud. And I wasn't ready to serve my wife well in a moment that she needed me to serve her well. And so, so the Lord saves us and continues to pay the cost to call us to the throne of grace to receive what we need in a time of trouble, both mercy and grace. It's mind-boggling to me. I would love to be able to stand up here and tell you, here's the three things that you need to do to be a better person. And it worked. I could probably build a building on something like that, or at least a brand and a website. But that's not eternal. That stuff will go away. So better that I would tell you that though you are in and of yourself apart from Christ, hell-bound and dead already, apart from the love of Christ that he imbues you with to remove all of those grave clothes and death and dying, to fill you with newness of life and the power of the resurrection, and not just for the future, for today. We need to hear that because we are beset on all sides. Any of you, could any of you testify and say, I don't have any problems. Life is so easy for me, somebody ought to make a documentary and they build a statue. No, it's just not true, is it? And so this is where he continues to be willing to pay the cost. You know that Christ is interceding for us right now? He is leaning, because Satan is ever before the throne and, and, and always attacking the people of God to try to diminish the glory that he has put in us. And Jesus is without fail, without tiring. He does not grow weary in doing this good, declaring, no, they are mine. By name and by circumstance. Again, this is where we're glad it's eternity, where time doesn't have say. And he fills us with the Holy Spirit who leads and guides us and tells us to be quiet sometimes. Maybe even has to say it stronger like he did for me. And he gives us the word of God to, to show us his character and his love for us. This is the grand love story of us all. This isn't just the story of Ruth. She is part of our lineage too because she's part of Christ's lineage. And so he gives us that. He gives us a community of people around us to give us a little help now and again, whether it's one way or another. And praise be to God that we have so much that he was willing to pay. I can't help but think, as I was meditating on this, who would I, as I think on this, because the next question is, who was willing to participate generous, generous, generously in your redemption in Christ? Well, there's a number of people I could point to. But as I, as I think about kind of the, the fountainhead, if you will, was I had a principal uh, in elementary school, I went to Fairburn Elementary, which I don't think exists anymore, uh, and his name was Mr. Ingram. And the first time I went to Mr. Ingram's office, which was not the last time I went to Mr. Ingram's office, it was for fighting, which is a strange thing for a third grader to be doing. And he looked at me and he said, boy, you're going to jail someday. I said, I don't care, I'll fight there too, which you pretty much have to do if you go to jail. 
And so, but he didn't, he didn't cast me out. He didn't say, therefore, you are worthless, you are trash. He took a very particular interest in me, checked on me, gave me uh, the opportunity to grow. The only time he suspended me, now here's the crazy thing, he never suspended me for fighting, which I did a few more times, because it's a process, you know, sanctification, you got to work it out. <laughs> he suspended me for running, but it's where I ran. I ran, we were one of the last elementary schools to have a fully functioning uh, uh, ed special education department with students with the most profound disabilities you've seen. And he loved those kids with a fierceness. And I ran through there. There wasn't a kid in the hall. He said, no, but you could have hurt one of those children. And he suspended me for a week. It's on my record. And it did, it did something to me. Love like that, you just don't see. He loved me, and he suspended me because he loved me. He didn't want me acting like that. In addition to Mr. Ingram, who invested deeply in me, third through seventh grade, was a lady named, and I called her Mama Gwen. And Mama Gwen worked with Susan and I, and Mama Gwen evangelized me every riven day of my life. I would come in hungover. I would come in angry. I would, I would say the craziest stuff I could say to her. She would laugh at me in the only way. That, that, that a woman like her could laugh at a young white boy like me. And I thought, what is she doing? She's not laughing at me. She, it's like she knew something I didn't know, and it, it made her happy. And she saw something I couldn't see, and it gave her joy. And she told me, she said, boy, when you turn, it's going to be from Saul to Paul. Well, I didn't know what that meant. I thought it was the stupidest thing I've ever heard. Who changes their name by one consonant? That's dumb. <laughs> And so she kept after me, and then she, and I don't condone this theology, but we got away with it. She thought the only way that I was ever going to be saved is to marry Susan Barn, or Susan McDonald at the time. And so she encouraged us to date, which I thought was crazy. And I became a believer, and we got married. But Gwen wasn't part of the story then, but she called sometime later because Susan kept up with her. And when I got on the phone and I told her I'd become a Christian, she, she knew how to celebrate what's good. She went to shouting and praising, and I don't know what else happened, but a lot went on. And, it, and she sent me a copy of My Utmost for His Highest by Oswald Chambers, and she signed it to my beloved son, Cameron. Praise be to God that that woman did not grow weary in doing good because I was rotten to the core. In fact, Susan could tell you that. You may want to talk to her, but why did you date this guy? Uh, she, no, 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 okay. uh, but praise be to God that there was someone who was willing to pay the cost. How, how many of us are willing to keep evangelizing somebody that's just straight mean to them? That just seems to know something they don't know? And for what purpose? Right? So she was willing to continue to pay the costs on behalf of the glory of God. Now, there, there's a time to shake the dust. I think we are all too quick to invoke that verse because of our comfort. Notice it takes a long time for the Lord our God to shake the dust on any one of his created beings. 
And we ought to have the same kind of patience and look a lot more like him than we do. And so praise be to God that Boaz was willing to participate in every step of this process and not take for himself the opportunity to make things happen for him. He was willing to follow the Lord as God, maintain his integrity, reflect the heart of God. This is exemplary to us. And so we need to recognize that the cost is still being paid for us. It is a great joy to be able to have Randolph come as an elder to me. I don't know about the rest of you, but it's a joy to me. And I've told him, don't mess that up. It's a joy to be able to celebrate with all of you to have uh, Pastor Philip here from East Point Church. Again, uh, I used to, to visit that church. They had a Thursday evening service when I would go to seminary, and it was beautiful. They met in the basement of this old PCUSA church, and I was just blown away at what the Lord was doing in the land of my sojourn, where I'm from. Because if you've ever been to East Point, it's, it's an interesting place. It's a mixed bag, uh, and, and the Lord is doing amazing work there. And they don't know the impact that they've had on me over the years. And the many times I think about some things that Pastor Carter said. In fact, y'all have heard me maybe say something he said. I remember one night they didn't have enough volunteers for the children. And Pastor Carter got up and said, uh, all of you are already Christians. And they, and this is a, par- a paraphrase, he said it much more eloquently than what I'm saying. Uh, and he was like leaning over. It was like emphasized and it was, it was beautiful. But he said, I, if we don't have enough volunteers by the time I finish praying uh, and I open my eyes, I'm going to go teach them because they're the ones I'm going to be held accountable for, not you. You find somebody else to teach you. Now you may say, well, that's, that's, that's not very nice. Well, again, you've heard it here. That has influenced me so profoundly. You've heard me say, we will be responsible for what we did with the generations he's entrusted to us. And we got more babies coming. We will be held responsible not for uh, whether or not we had coffee on Sunday mornings, which we're grateful for. Thank you, Clay. Great blessing. Jacob, you as well. Thank you. But that's not what we're going to be judged for. We're not going to be judged for, did we sing songs a certain style? I'm sorry. We're not. Uh, and so, so there's other things that will not be judged for. We will be judged for. I, he's going to say, I entrusted something supremely special to you. My children. What did you do with them? So you can thank Pastor Carter for that. Uh, send him emails if you don't like it, all right? No, don't. I don't, I don't mess with him. He's busy. And so it's a joy to be able for us to celebrate together, having so many lines of influence come together in this room. It's it's almost impossible to detail them all because there's so many because of God's grace. And so what a glorious thing it is that we are in the lineage of those who were faithful, had integrity. They were not perfect, but they were willing to pay the cost. Listen to what Peter H.W. Lau and Gregory Goswell says about this particular section. He says, The initial and ongoing cost would have no ultimate benefit for the nearer kinsman, since the property would be inherited only by any son he would produce with Ruth. It would not be divided among the nearer kinsman's other sons. And when the property was transferred to the heir who would continue Elimelech's family line, any benefit of the produce of the land would be lost. The nearer kinsman's response, by contrast, highlights the cost that Boaz was willing to bear.
For those of you who kind of think, well, I don't, I mean, did God really pay a cost? Let me ask you this. For those of you who are parents, have you ever had to turn your face away from your child? In any form or fashion, do you have any idea where the grief of that came from? If it ain't holy, we're in trouble. Who taught us to grieve the fracturing of relationship and the longing for reconciliation in all forms and fashions? The Lord our God did, not casually. His son did not endure what he endured as Superman. He endured it as all man, suffering. And even, don't forget this, in the Garden of Gethsemane, asking his father, if there be any other way, may this cup pass from me. However, not my will, your will be done. That was not play acting. We have the emotions that we have, the griefs that we have because the Lord our God has given them to us. Though they are stained, they originate with him. So we would be wise to recognize how much he loves us, how much he's willing to expend to draw near to us and to make sure that we know we are loved, we are his, we are invited into the work of the kingdom. So, Having said that, what a great way to segue to uh, calling Randolph and his family up. And uh, Philip, if you would come forward, uh, the elders. If you are an elder, I don't care what church. If you are a deacon, I don't care what church. You're welcome to come up here uh, as we are, will soon lay hands on Randolph. If you would, just gather around. Um, and Philip's going to pray for us after I ask the questions. All right, Randall. Now, what y'all need to know is uh, there was a, a particular moment where I knew Randolph was going to be a great elder. Uh, we had been studying the Lord's Supper. Well, he had. I was just riffing off of what I already knew. And I, and, he, and I explained to him our perspective on the Lord's Supper. And we're in a coffee shop. And you already see, I, I'll cry in public. I, it's just going to happen. And the Lord likes to do that to me to keep keep that whole prison rough image all jacked up. But Randolph, I don't, he don't cry a lot in public, but he did. He broke down because of the beauty of the gospel. And I said to myself, of all the things an elder needs to know, that's it. And he will serve this church, that will serve this church beautifully and well. And so I was grateful to, to be able to be there to witness that, to bear witness to it, because I didn't do it. It was no, not the power of my words. It was the beauty and the power of the gospel. Would that we would all be so moved, at least at some point in time, because of the depth of God's love for us. So, uh, Randolph, I've got a few questions for you, and I have a question for the congregation. Do you believe the scriptures of the Old and New Testaments as originally given to be the inerrant word of God, the only infallible rule of faith and practice? Yes. Do you sincerely receive and adopt the confession of faith and the catechisms of this church as containing the system of doctrine taught in the Holy Scriptures? And do you further promise that if at any time you find yourself out of accord with any of the fundamentals of this system of doctrine, you will, on your own initiative, make known to your session the change which has taken place in your views since the assumption of this ordination vow? Yes. 
Do you approve the form of government and discipline of the Presbyterian Church in America in conformity with the general principles of biblical polity? Yes. Do you accept the office of ruling elder in this church and promise faithfully to perform all the duties thereof and to endeavor by the grace of God to adorn the profession of the gospel in your life and to set a worthy example before the church of which God has made you an officer? Do you promise subjection to your brethren in the Lord? Do you promise to strive for the purity and peace, unity and edification of the church? All right, now, to you who are members of this church, you will answer this with the raising of your right hand. Do you, the members of this church, acknowledge and receive this brother, Randolph Ben, as a ruling elder? And do you promise to yield to him all all that honor, encouragement, and obedience in the Lord to which his office, according to the word of God and the constitution of this church, entitles him? I'm not going to count. I think that's it. All right. So, Philip Duncanson, where are you? All right, Pastor Duncanson's going to pray for us. Uh, if those who are up here would gather around and lay hands on Randolph. Now, it's hot up here. Let's, let's leave a little space for the Spirit to work. Uh, <laughs> we'll turn it over to you, sir. Bless your holy name this day. What a joy it is to know that you are God and, and more than that, you are our Father. It's a privilege to call you Father. For you have by your Spirit poured the love of Christ into our hearts, enabling us to cry out, Abba, Father. And so we bless your holy name. We are undeserving, unworthy sinners, but you have lavished your love upon us in the person and the work of Jesus Christ. So we are thankful, grateful. We celebrate you this day. It is a joyous day, a good day, because it is a day that you have made. But more than that, before the foundation of the world, you have saved Randolph, rescued him from darkness, and placed him into your marvelous light. Oh, Father, we thank you for his life, for the experiences that he has had, for the testimony of others that you have saved him and called him to this glorious and wonderful work. It is a reminder of your faithfulness, O oh Lord, your faithfulness to your bride, the church, that you are still raising up men, men to shepherd and care for and pray for your church, the bride. And so we are grateful for this opportunity that we have to lay hands on our brother. Lord, we pray for him. Pray your blessing upon his service here to this congregation, that he would shepherd this flock that you have purchased with your blood that he would not do so uh, with under compulsion, but willingly, humbly, laying down his life, sacrificing for this church. We pray for his family and for the burdens that it will be. Lord, I thank you for Ashley and for the helpmate that she is to him. I pray that this service would indeed be a service to her, that she would look upon this congregation and, and be thankful for the blessing that they have been to her, that this would bless 
his children, that they would see in their father an example of one who loves Christ, loves his church, and that they would grow up and do the same. Father, we thank you for the elders that you have raised up here in this congregation. May they continue to serve and, and shepherd this flock, loving it and, and being a testimony to, to you and, and to your gospel, that the, that the word of Christ would leave this place and accomplish all that you would have it to accomplish, O oh Lord. And we thank you for this community of believers, Christ Community Church, this portion of the vineyard. Father, may they pray for Randolph. May they help to serve the family. May they, they, they be led by him in a way that, is, uh, that, that brings him joy, that, that causes him to, to, to bless your holy name. Oh, what a joy it is and a privilege it is to stand with our brother, to lay hands on him, Father, to commit him to gospel ministry for your glory and for your praise. Use him mightily in your kingdom. Do a work through him. It's in Jesus' name we pray and ask these things. And all of God's people said, Amen. 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 All right. Uh, thank you.